Hey, and welcome to The Big Binge, a podcast where we binge a season of television and then talk about it. I'm Rebecca Fuger, a designer in New York City. I'm Hoi Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So, hey guys, how's it been? It's been like a month since we've seen each other. Yeah, it's been a while. Done the Millennial Falcon, but uh, Rebecca, how have you been? I've been good. Um, I started up school again, so that has eaten up a lot of my time, but I still will make time to binge a show, no matter what. Priorities, you know. Of course, and this week, this month's show is um, a little bit of an underdog of a show. It hasn't garnered a lot of awards, but it is critically acclaimed. Uh, we are binging the first season of The Americans this this month, this series of months. We're going to do all five seasons available to us. Yeah, and it's, um, in honor of, in. it's in honor of the final season of The Americans airing on FX this year, so we're going to yeah, say goodbye March. to it. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, and as you guys may, may know, last month was The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, another period piece, completely tonally different. Um, <laughs> and we are here now to talk about a show that we all kind of really like, I think. Um, so a little description from Wikipedia. The Americans is an American period drama television, which I just said, created by Joe Weisberg, who actually was a CIA operative in the Cold War. So he knows his shit. Um, uh, the Americans is on FX, uh, set in the early 1980s during the Cold War. It is the story of Elizabeth and Philip Jennings, two Soviet KGB officers posing as Americans um, as a married uh, as a married American couple in northern Virginia. Uh in Washington, D- near Washington, D.C., uh, with their children, Paige and Henry. Uh, their neighbor, Stan, is an FBI agent working in counterintelligence, so, you know, shenanigans are in su- involving that. Um, <laughs> the series started in 2013. As we said, it's coming to a close this year. Um, if you guys listen to The Millennial Falcon, you'll know that Anya is one of the biggest fans of the Americans. She just watched it last year and compl- fell head over heels in love with the show, um, so she knows, uh, she knows very well that the show is great. Um, so why don't we get into it? What are your guys' overall thoughts on the first season of The Americans? Uh, HD, why don't oh you Oh my first? god! Sorry. Oh, well, Rebecca, you go first. <laughs> we had, like, that moment where we weren't sure. Um, oh my god. I actually tried to watch it a couple of times because I always heard it was super good, but I don't know. I always had like some false starts. It's kind of like how I feel about The Wire initially, at least, where I was like, I know I got to watch this. I know it's going to be good. I know I'm going to love it, but it's going to like require a lot of my like, I have to pay very close attention. Um, So I had a couple false starts with it, um, but this time I was like, all right, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch it. and I know I'm going to like it, and I totally did. I was, like, sold, basically, from, like, the first scene when they started playing Tusk as the chase scene by Fleetwood Mac. I freaked out when I heard that, because I've never thought of using Fleetwood Mac for exciting chase music, and that was mm-hmm. really, that was cool. Yeah. Um, it did take me a little bit to kind of, like, wrap my head around everything, and even still sometimes, I really appreciate how they, and we can probably get into this even more, how they really do trust us to sort of keep up with what's going on, even though it's, like, crazy espionage intelligence stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, there were a couple times when I was like, wait, who is this person again? Or, like, what what are they doing? Or what's their involvement with uh, Philip and Elizabeth? Um, but overall, I thought it was so good. Um, I thought the plotting was fantastic throughout the whole season. Um, and it really played on my emotions a lot because everyone's kind of working against each other and I root for everyone in a different way. But those are my quick feelings. <laughs> Yeah, this was my uh, first time watching The Americans 2. It's also a series that I knew I I should get around to for a while now. And I was like, I've been hearing so many great things, both from my parents and from my friends, but mostly from my parents and other older relatives who grew up sort of in the Cold War era. And they said they really liked the show because they could relate to it and kind of see what they grew up with on like this highly dramatized level and I was like okay I wonder if it's a show maybe that's more uh, catered towards older demographics sort of like Homeland or something like that but I realized as I was watching it that it's a really great character study of a series so I really like how um, the main characters Philip and Elizabeth played by Matthew Reese and Carrie Russell they are such great 
sympathetic characters who you really end up rooting for. And it, the series itself is more of a really immaculate character study than a plot-driven show like I imagined it would be, uh, which is, I think, in its, uh, a, in its corner. It's, it's a positive for the show um, because I was kind of expecting this complex, convoluted plot, and those are kind of the shows that end up losing me. But when you have really complex, really um, compelling character development and character arcs, then that's what hooks me, and that's what hooks me for the Americans just because, you know, like you were saying, Rebecca, you there are, you're seeing both sides and you're rooting for characters on both sides. But and so you feel a little bit turmoil just having uh, all this sort of sympathy for every character in the show. And they they build their characters so well. and The, the performances are so great. So, yeah, I really like how it kind of balances between uh, almost a little bit soapy and with the oh, yeah. with the domestic drama and everything like that uh, as well as the more prestigious political espionage it's kind of it reminds me of a less heightened version of the first season of house of cards where i really once back when i respected house of cards and i really liked the kind of storytelling it was doing the americans feels like that except a little bit more accessible so willoughby what are your thoughts about... You're the only one of us who has seen The Americans long before us, and uh, you're re- revisiting this show for our for the big binge. Yeah, so around this time last year, I started watching it for the first time. Um, as, as w- around the same time that our Millennial Falcon co-host, Anya, started watching it. So we were doing this last year, but uh, we weren't having a podcast about it. Um, I really liked the show. Um Rewatching season one gave me a lot more clarity on the characters' motivations. That I think my first time around, like Rebecca, you said it was kind of hard to hard to understand like everything that was going on because like you're just you know they drop you right into everything. They don't really like hold your hand or they don't even have like an explainer card at the beginning of the show saying like in the 1980s Russian spies from America relocated to America and posed as Americans for 20 years. These this is one of those stories that may be. True, which the whole what is this law and order? Well, like you know, in a lesser show, <laughs> or the alienist for that matter. In, in a lesser show, they would have explained like the gist of the show. Oh yeah, before the show started for you. Um, and this one, they drop you right into a chase, and then you you're kind of like you are left to catch up to to what's happening. Like I have no idea what like Directive S is or Directive or Director S is or. Oh, yeah. uh, center or you know i mean the I understand the resident yeah. which is basically just the, it's the embassy, embassy. it's their word yeah. for the embassy um and you know take and it, but everyone's a kgb agent apparently in the resident so like yeah. there's a lot to unpack in the very first episode even and you know it sets the ground rules for the rest of the season for the rest of the show like who these characters are what they do and it takes these character it's it's very character driven it's not very much plot and that's what kind of reminds me of mad men like the plot is very slow burn and there's real there's an overarching theme but the episodes have like their own stories to tell which i really enjoy um you know there's a lot of flashbacks to when they were in russia which i really found fa- fascinating because in america they're not allowed to speak a word of russian ever like almost like they're not even like they have perfected an american accent which matthew reese has because he's actually welsh and so it's kind of fascinating that he's playing he's a welsh actor playing a a russian spy posing as an american so like he's like double double acting it's amazing and carrie russell's great too um and so you get these intricate backstories that they you know you're slowly unraveling these onions of characters and seeing all the layers that they have and you find out everything about you know not everything but a lot about what these guys do and you realize oh my god they have kids they have american kids these kids were born in america and they're russian spies this is so weird and fucked up and in the 1980s or 1990s even these characters would be the bad guys on the show and stan beeman would be the main hero he would be the guy we're rooting for and Philip and Elizabeth would be like the Boris and Natasha of uh, of like a lesser older show that would have aired on like TNT drama in 1992. Um, and so it's kind of fascinating the way that the script is fl- the script the script is flipped, and you're sympathetic to these people who 
especially in our modern times, we should hate. Because they are undermining our American democracy with everything, yeah, every fiber of their being. Especially in modern times. Especially in modern times. And when I when I watched the show for the first time last year, we had just found out about all the Russia investigation or Rus- Russia um, hacking into our election interference, interference. Yeah. and so like a lot of everything was happening. And the same thing now, um, a year later, and so like the show is more relevant than ever, and it's kind of fascinating. Um, and so like. I, I'm hesitant to like recommend it to my dad, who was in the U.S. Navy for for 26 years, who worked at the Pentagon in uh, naval intelligence for a while, and just like you know, he would be like, uh, "Why am I rooting for these Russians? I'm not going to do that." He probably uh, would also think the show is like unrealistic in certain parts too. It's too yeah, that's possible too. And I, I really love the characters. I think everyone's really fascinating. Um, I love how everyone plays off each other. The uh, writing is really great. The relationship that um, is developed between Philip and Elizabeth is really complex and really dynamic, and I love it. Um, I love that they're, even though they're married, they're not in love, but they're starting to fall in love, and it's really interesting um, how that can happen. Uh, and it's basically like they're common-law married in the eyes of God. Um, and I, there's really not much to say. I love how... I love the production value of the show. It is some. It, it's basically. I mean, we we say this a lot about prestige TV, but it's filmed like a movie, but it's a television show, and they use film filmmaking techniques in cinema for television, akin to Mad Men, which I really found great. Like, I love the the, the idea of taking like uh, cinematic sh- tropes and framing shots. Uh, and putting them on television and making everything seem really dynamic and fascin- fascinated. Uh, I would say, too, that um, even though it is filmed very cinematically, it doesn't fall to the uh, sort of stumbles that a lot of prestige television tries to do by making things overly dark, as in lighting-wise. Yeah. You can't see anything in a lot of prestige dramas. I hate that. I hate that so much. I was actually thinking about that today because – not a prestige show, but when I watch when I watch Riverdale, it's like the darkest thing in the world. I can barely see what's going on, which is so unfortunate because everyone's beautiful. But like, I can never see anybody. And also, I don't know if this is like a thing with like I've just started noticing it, but I don't know if it's my TV. But like, there'll be weird after images, like ghost images of like the previous shot left on my TV. In I think the next that might shot. be your TV. I think that's like motion smoothing on a lot of televisions these days. Yeah, I would check your motion smoothing tel- uh, TV, <laughs> okay. honestly, but also... Um, get cut out, but I was just like noticing no, no. it. If you're watching uh, a dark television show on a, on, a broadca- on, a, on a broadcast, it won't be as perfect as like watching it on a Blu-ray because it's the sig- it's the the high definition signal might not be as strong enough that your so your TV is overcompensating, um, and so it's trying to like r- figure it out. Um, especially if you're watching like DVR, like Say. like have you guys ever had it where it's like action is happening and it gets all pixelated, mm-hmm. and you're watching yeah. like a broadcast. You're not watching internet. You're watching the broadcast. That's like part of motion smoothing and like all that jazz um yeah i'll just check that out because yeah. i'm it's so distracting and weird um mm-hmm. but anyway but for real like certain shows i hate when they get so dark that you can't see anything and as you were saying ht um the americans doesn't really fall into that trap. Yes. a lot of the shot in the daytime which is really bold for this kind of show yeah for a spy show yeah i like it too because it emphasizes the domestic domesticity of it all because it is more half about their lives as parents raising their children in, a, like, the American suburbs as much as it is was, about their espionage. I was going to say, HD, how does it feel to know that um, the Russian spies were living in your backyard, essentially? Because well, you, you know, live not far from Falls Church, right? I, well, I live, like, right next door to Falls Church. I live in McLean, right. which is where a lot of ambassadors live and um, where I think a vice president or something had their safe house here. Uh, Colin Powell lives in my somewhere close by. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's fun. And also, I love watching a show that's about DC because you can tell it's definitely not shot in DC. 
Yeah. <laughs> they showed DuPont Circle, oh, yeah. which obviously DuPont Circle has changed in 35 years, but like you could tell, like there's no fountain. <laughs> it's also a lot cleaner than what DC yeah. would have been. At least there's no Cathedral Heights Metro yet. <laughs> they were actually really good. They were like, we have to shut down Tacoma Metro Station on Eastern Avenue. And I was like, that's a real address. That's a real address. Yeah. They're at least paying good attention to some DC geography, even if it's not filmed in DC. Yeah, yeah. it would have been a Which, lot dirtier 30 years ago. Yeah. My parents were here, and yeah, they were like, really... "Oh yeah, my parents used to live here back 30, 40 years ago," and they're like, "Yeah, it was very DC was a lot more dangerous then, and definitely not as clean and and well structured." Oh yeah, yeah, my mom my mom lived in Greenbelt around in College Park around the same time, and she would go down to DC and meet my dad in Woodbridge and her in Virginia and all that kind of stuff. So, like, it, it's weird how DC's changed. Yeah, so, well, like, even, um, sorry, when, like, she goes to see Gregory, Elizabeth goes to see Gregory in parts, I'm like, that is probably kind of bold to go into DC, like, alone at night like that, when, you know, that crime at that point was much higher than mm-hmm. before. Um, but she's she can take care of herself, obviously. I don't think she's really um, under a lot of... Uh, in, in a lot of danger. Yeah. So, speaking of characters, do we want to talk about our favorite characters? Or, yeah, let's you know, dive into characters. So, we're going to split up our analysis of the American Season 1 by characters, plot, and themes. So, first one, we're going to go into characters because they're obviously oh the selling point of this series. Yeah. So, Rebecca seems really excited. She's j- jumping <laughs> up and down right now. Why don't you start us off? Yeah, Rebecca, love, who's your favorite I love, character? I love Claudia. Oh, Claudia. She's the best. Wait. Oh, I was, of course you love Claudia. I was watching and I was like, of course, this is a Rebecca character. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. I. She's just, I like, she's so in the shadows, but and her motivations are never clear. But I really like to believe she does care about them, even though, you know, I guess technically we always have to question everyone's motivations on the Americans, particularly the spies that are basically trained liars the whole time. So, yeah, the, you know, it's always kind of hard to sort of gauge her motivations. And, you know, I don't really care what her motivations are sometimes, but she's just so, I just, I'm always kind of a sucker for like the person who just sort of emerges from the shadows and just kind of like directs everything. Um, she's, and yeah, she's just super unclear. And obviously, um, I believe it was in the finale, just that scene, I was screaming so hard. It was super brutal where she dresses up as an even older looking woman just to appear non-threatening. Oh yeah, the throat slitting. Um, and just how she slowly slits that guy's throat and then just like oh, yeah. watches him bleed out. And it is nope. so brutal. And it probably makes me sound like a sociopath that I'm saying that she's my favorite character. But she's just amazing. And I love, I like Margaret Martindale. I really haven't seen a lot of her other work, but she really, really won me over with just how much of a badass she was. Just her line where she says, like, the paralysis will only last 20 minutes, but you're only going to make it 10. And it's yeah. like, what? That's She's so calm. It's so great. Oh, yeah. She never, like, she almost never raises her voice and never, like, gets... Yeah, but why that yeah. she will not fuck around. Do no. not fuck with Claudia. And I really love the, her relationship with Elizabeth, which is super, mm-hmm. like, i like very, very yeah. combative, very antagonistic. I've never seen a relationship like that on camera that isn't, like, mother-daughter type. Mm-hmm. Like it's because like they're not mother daughter. It's very much not that, but they're very antagonistic in a, in a similar fashion. Like Claudia's yeah. trying to pr- take care of them, and Elizabeth is kind of a rebellious teenager in a way. And well, it's like kind she of- goes against a lot of her orders a lot, which like probably doesn't seem like the best thing to do. I'm like always a surprise, but like it makes sense that they go against orders when um I believe Zukov was murdered, mm-hmm. which obviously Claudia then um murdered the I believe CIA agent I want to say or FBI yeah, yeah, agent yeah. who it was did CIA. carry out mm-hmm. the orders for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, she obviously knew how to take care of it, but um. But like that whole like, uh, like fake torture yeah. thing episode where they like took oh my god and like Paige and Henry just had... emerges. yeah she like... just emerges and you're just like what the fuck yes oh my god yeah but she beats her she beats the crap out of Claudia and she's yeah she's like whoever like ordered this tell them that your face is a present for me yeah, yeah oh. I I really love Elizabeth actually I. 
want to say that she's probably my favorite character because she really uh you pended like my expectations for what her character would be uh, i was mostly familiar with carrie russell from felicity of course so i expected and waitress <laughs> and waitress which is actually the first movie i saw her in so it's she's great. always been sort of typecast as these really sweet really um, warm characters and at first she's kind of presented as such in the show but then she turns out to be the colder and more um sort of radical logical one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah not even logical like sometimes she yeah, yeah. She, can t- she tends to overreact and she's much more loyal to like mother russia than um philip is and that was really fascinating to me because that's a, another sort of role reversal that the americans pulls in which like she has a more sort of masculine energy and she's definitely the one who will take action more often than he will and um she's so cold but not like in an ice cream kind of way she's in a way that she knows she needs to get the mission done and i really like that character and how you know even though she is so cold and she is so dead set on her mission she has her moments of of vulnerability and she's the one who opens up to falling in love with philip for the first time and you know she's the one who's also betrayed by him and it's amazing like seeing Carrie Russell in this role and seeing her transform as such and bring so many layers to this performance, I really was excited just watching that play out on screen. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I just yeah. completely agree with you. Um, oh, her arc is so good. Because, um, yeah, she's a soldier, I feel like, really, first and foremost. But you do see so much of her... Um, you know, how, why she's so dedicated to the mission. And you kind of... You know, even though as Americans and kind of from our perspective, we shouldn't agree with her. We like always want her to succeed. I do want to say one thing too, is that she kind of partially at first falls into that same sort of tired trope we've seen with a lot of badass female spies in cinema mm-hmm. and TV in which they have sexual trauma as part of their past. And, you know, she was raped by an officer yeah. when she was training in the KGB. And that, you know, often is a defining factor for this traumatized, turmoiled woman in a lot of these spy roles. And she, that is part of her character, but it doesn't so much define her character as we see it define a lot of other people who are like victims of sexual assault. It's yeah, like, she even she even says like I think in the first or second episode that she did put it behind her and like a lot, like she does. You don't really see her at least in this season, maybe in later ones we will, but um, we don't really see her too much. Like kind of go back on it and like really, you don't feel like it's super traumatized her. Um, well, I think it traumatized her, but is, I think it shaped well, it, her in yeah. a different way. Yeah, it, it shapes her in yeah, a different sorry, way. That's she's, a poor choice of words. She's like put it behind her, like she said. But it also it informs her character, but it also informs kind of the environment that she grew up in, and th- mm-hmm. that they both like the way that the the director of uh, how the center directorate directorate s like agents like how that whole system works and mm-hmm. how the kgb like functions as a terribly sexist and misogynistic um place and um and that she was a victim to it but she was able to like put it behind her it's still it's definitely yeah, not it's like, it's never really referenced later in this season but it's definitely still like in your mind it's an important part of her character but at the same time you never get a sense that it completely shaped her because you get the sense she was kind of like this from the beginning she was always a soldier she was always extremely serious and motivated and right it didn't change her from like it didn't do like a 180 flip yeah, exactly, because like a lot of the times you see sexual assault be used as a shortcut to character development in female characters especially, and that's not the case here, and that's why I like Elizabeth so much, because hey. it's an important mm-hmm. part. She is she's, circa, yeah. Yeah, but she's, in a, but she's still such a strong character with or without it. Yeah, it doesn't need, like, it doesn't have to be there. Um, it's, I don't want to say okay that it's there, but it, it, yeah, it doesn't um, succumb to that trope nearly as much as other things exactly. would. Like Game of Thrones, for example. <laughs> um, but yeah, we could uh, we could name some. I want to talk about Philip Jennings. 
Ooh. my favorite character. Yeah. I think he's got a wonderful arc and a very fascinating character development. I obviously know more about his arc later, but I only want to talk about season one because that's what we're doing. But I really like the idea of him like kind of falling in love with America and, and, and saying like, we could get out and it could be easy for us. Because they've already been doing it for 15 years. Like, they could just slip away, move to Canada, move to somewhere else, and just put this behind them. Because And be, like, an actual family. And because he wants... he Like, they're falling in love with each other. It's not a one-way street there. Um, even though he does end up having sex with his former lover from Russia, um, who he may or may not have a kid with. Um, <laughs> and yeah. he... Uh, you know he's he's much more of the emotional center of the family. He's much more of like if you look at the the tropes of like the new American nuclear family, he's very much more of like the lovable dad. Um, and the kids seem to gravitate towards him more than uh, Carrie Russell, which is informative of their character. She's much more of the logic. She she he's much more of the emotion. Um, and together they form like the perfect spy duo. Um, and I really like. It's really fascinating the way he plays Clark. Uh, oh my god, yeah, we have to talk about that. We have to talk about right. Clark. And we have to talk about how he's just so good at being a chameleon into being these... All, like, he's the one who... I think he has more wigs and more facial hair and everything than Carrie Russell does in this season. And there's there's one wig and mustache that makes him look like Sirius Black, and it forever kills me whenever I see it. Um, <laughs> That's so best. Uh, but he, you know, he's able to slip in and out of being like the generic white man, and the way he is cozying up to Stan Beeman to get information, but also like he wants a friend in his life. Like he likes Stan as a person. Yeah, they, they're uh, racquetball buddies. They're racquetball buddies, and it's great. And I like the way that he just kind of. You know he's able he's able to be American more so than Elizabeth is, and it's really fascinating because that he's not he's Russian he's yeah. you know he's this trained spy who is unable to be tortured. Yeah, but I like how he's, he's the I like how he's the emotional one in their mm-hmm. dynamic, which is really interesting to me and kind of lends itself to that sort of subversion of the subversion, usual yeah. dynamic. And he like like you said, he's great at being a chameleon and being a spy, but at the same time, each of the characters he plays has a sort of element of himself to it. He he, you know, with each of these women, I feel like he kind of falls in love with them a little bit. He cares about them to some extent, and he cares about Stan to, to an extent, too, which is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I think gives him a lot of internal conflict as to, yeah, the mission, which probably is where, which is obviously where, you know, his desire to get out and defect um, comes from. Exactly. And I definitely see that, like, it's a great way to inform the character. Like, she's on mission all the time, and he's not. And when they, when she goes off to kill Zhukov, and that's not the orders, he's kind of the one saying, like, well, what about, what about orders? Like, and and she's like, no, we have to do this. Um, And then she realizes that it was more about revenge, and he's there for her. And it's, and I just love their dynamic i love his characterization i think matthew reese is amazing i've never mm-hmm. seen him before this show um i've i've since seen him in the post where he plays daniel ellsberg and i thought this was a nice interesting related uh uh you know showcase for his acting because he's also like plays a dude in a hotel <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's also like uh stealing secrets from the american government um Maybe he's got that market cornered he has got that market so cornered um but he has i the way he can portray such emotion with just his face without saying anything like he can, i was gonna say he has a great face he has a great face and it's so expressive and you can see everything he's thinking on his face when he's like when he's talking there's a moment the moment where he meets oh what's her name's ca- parents oh martha martha, martha. martha. the like he he gets surprised by meeting her parents and he's like can we step outside for a moment and he's like all happy and you know he seems to be very happy to see see them and see her and then he's like i got to go you know think about something or he has to go do something and you can just see the act drop 
on his face like a stone in a river like you can just see him just go what the fuck just happened and it's amazing and i think he's a brilliant actor and i think he needs all the awards and i can't wait to see what more he does because the americans is over and i want to see more carrie russell too and they're married in real life which is really fun it's the best i don't think they spy as much though in real life maybe hopefully hopefully not Hopefully for the American government, if yeah. anything. They have such yeah. crackling chemistry on the show that I'm not surprised they got married in real life. Oh, yeah. But, I feel like when you're, like, working that closely with someone you have that many scenes, it's kind of bound to happen. And, like, you know, the situations you get thrown in, even if they're not real. Yeah, definitely. It's, like, kind of inevitable. Yeah, I and I also want to say that this series has such great supporting characters too like each supporting character feels so fully fleshed out and has their own arcs that yeah, you know actually, you feel for each of them uh, i really love to... oh go ahead. <laughs> i also say i wanted to touch on actually like how the kids are written too um i think they're actually written so well um i feel like a lot of dramas horribly handle kids especially teenagers um and like they're either just completely like hate you mom or like they're totally absent or like the kid or like the small child is just only cute or that kind of thing and you see sort of with Paige and henry and i mean especially Paige, she gets more uh screen time but um how kind of yeah multifaceted they are and they have kind of their own sort of stuff going on um they almost get kidnapped at some point too um which i wasn't that into that subplot we've maybe talked about that more yeah in the it was a little section. cringy i wanted to fast forward through it both times yeah. i've seen it now yeah it's like i i thought it was interesting in that just like kind of yeah seeing their kind of sort of mundanity too not that that's a mundane situation but it's much more of a you know possible kind of everyday quote-unquote situation that a child may find themselves in particularly I think in the 80s that was kind of when a lot of kidnappings happened um that you know their parents probably don't even like think about like I feel like their parents are always so concerned that like they're gonna get found out um by the American government and all that kind of thing that they don't really even think about like oh, and, like, what happens to their kids then? They don't think about, like, oh, what happens when, like, my kid gets kidnapped or they're having trouble at school or something like that. So I think they're a good kind of showing of sort of modern, sort of normal American life um, because they obviously are thoroughly American. Um, But, yeah, they have, like, moments when they're, like, super sweet and, like, good, and you tell they're, like, good kids. um, But then, you know, they have their own, like, combative issues. And, obviously, we're going to see, I'm sure, soon that Paige is a... getting suspicious i would say she's getting okay. suspicious and she's also got a bit of a crush on stan beeman jr oh i know yeah she was watching him play the guitar and i was like girl no just <laughs> with his long hair, his long hair. <laughs> you know like oh no 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 you can you don't need to his, do that his rocky horror phase yeah um, yeah i rebecca you'll you'll know exactly what i'm talking about but i feel like we're we're almost getting a Sally Bobby Draper situation where Paige yeah. has a lot more screen time and character development than Henry. Like, even though Henry's younger, he's only three years younger. Whereas with Bobby Draper and Sally, it was always Sally and obviously various Bobby Drapers because they kept recasting the actor. Yeah. So they never really had a plot for him. But Sally had the most plot and was almost definitely a main character by the end of the show. Um, Paige is very much a main character of the show. Yeah, I'm pretty and sure I, I'm, it's pretty much seeming forecasted that eventually, you know, I obviously don't know what's going to happen because I've been trying as hard as I can to avoid spoilers, um, which is hard since the show's been out for a while, but I've been doing my due diligence. Um, that Paige will, I'm sure, eventually find out that her parents are KGB, and I kind of have the feeling that Henry's just never going to find out. He's going to let go of the whole series, basically. And just be like completely kept in the dark. Oh, Henry. no comment. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, don't don't say um, yeah, anything. I won't comment on that. But I'm just. But I just wanna, that's I, just I'm, my feeling. I I definitely I get Mad Men vibes where it comes with like Paige is very much more of the developed character, and I think it's fascinating because she's you know she if she, if you if you think about her age now if she was alive you know if she was a real character she's 13 in 1981 so she'd be like in her 40s by now and it's really interesting to see how like. These kids in the '80s, like they have no idea, like what's coming with technolo- technological, like advantages and everything. Well, so she's Henry just really, like, really wants us in television. He wants to in television, and they're just normal kids, like living their lives, and you know they don't have cell phones, and they're just trying to like, they're like, tr- like 
traditional American kids in the 80s, and their their family is seemingly normal, but they're not. And it's yeah, what a, much one to of their the parents' horror. I think that they're normal American kids. I feel like that gets brought up a lot. That like, yeah, they like want a lot of material things that any American kid in that time would want, and they're not getting them. Yeah, um, my girlfriend was watching the show sporadically with me, and she was like. Uh, they they uh, have their kids watching hockey, which is the first sign that they're not true Americans. Because at that time, Americans didn't like hockey. It was such a Russian thing, you know. Ah, that's a like, good thing. I didn't pick up on that. I mean, she was pretty much joking, but like Russia hockey, that's a whole. <laughs> no, thing. totally. Wasn't that the Mighty Ducks, basically? The Mighty Ducks, uh, the movie Miracle, in which uh, Kurt Russell plays the uh, coach man. of the Amer- the Team USA t- in the 1980 Winter Olympics, against uh, wow. the- where they beat the Soviets um, like we do all the time. Um, I'm sure that's an intentional thing that you know has a little they- like tip off that things are not quite as they seem. Yeah, um, and so it's just a really fascinating look into like the way that they are able to pass as a true like nuclear family, but they've got these deep, dark secrets, which the creator of the show wanted to explore that idea of like marriage and secrets, secrecy mm-hmm. and family dynamics. That and, like, sort of yeah, double layer of it. The double layer and like how the kids, you know, they see their parents as one thing and us as adults watching the show see their parents as another thing. Like it's really fascinating. I really love it. Um, that was a whole tangent on page that went way off the rails into talking about the nuclear family. Um, is Let's there talk- else? We want- it's okay. We'll bring it all back around. What do you um, guys think of yeah. Martha? Oh, we already, oh, we talked my God. about, oh, did we talk about Martha? No, we didn't talk about we... Martha. Sorry. Okay. No, Go ahead. We talked about Claudia and that's we, what we you're talking about. Claudia. Let's talk about Martha. Cause I find her a very sympathetic character. She's and so I, pure. And I feel bad for her because, you know, just knowing that Clark is, not who he says he is like that's a ticking time bomb oh yeah that's a train about to derail oh yeah but like so i feel so bad for her so bad like incredibly bad but at the same time i'm also like girl he is never around like you can do so much better she's she's very pretty and she's very smart and she has a really nice solid job at the fbi like she doesn't need clark clark is never there for her he's kind of rude to her i feel like i feel like clark is always so like Obviously, like, that's how Philip just plays him, but, like, he's so, like, uptight and, like, secretive, and, like, I get that he has to be, but I don't know why she would be into him. I was gonna say, like, red, red flag when he's like, let's not make this marriage actually official. <laughs> yeah, and what job requires it. that? No job requires that. That must right. that would have yeah. been a very obvious red flag. And, like, it's just really yeah. fascinating the way that she's, like, the way, the reason that he proposed marriage for her is not because he's also in love but because he's trying to get information about from agent gad and he has to like you know really sink his teeth into this relationship and kind of go it's like it's the long con like it's not just one of his many like uh you know like one one off uh you know uh trysts to get information uh, on something this is like the long con to get information from the fbi directly and it worked for him so far yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's going to fall apart, I'm sure, but oh, it's so sad. So let's talk Just about like, the other side of the coin. Stan, of course. Stan We haven't even about Stan. Ah! <laughs> so he is ostensibly the antagonist of this series because we are essentially rooting for Philip and Elizabeth, but he's also the hero, as you said, Willoughby, in most cases so it's yeah, interesting like if this was another show or yeah. an earlier like a show made in the 80s he'd totally be like the true american hero like you know the oh what's his name from the untouchables uh um, oh, i don't watch Untouchables. uh the i he, you know like the the true like american hero who never falters mm-hmm. but he but stan does falter because he's a very um he's very flawed He's yeah, a he's very, very flawed, flawed character, yeah. Which I like about him because it makes him more vulnerable and complex. And uh, he's kind mm-hmm. of that epitome of the American dream, only it, that it has all these cracks and it's crumbling slowly because he's in a, yeah. hap- a, a happy marriage with his wife and son, but you know he cheats and he's never home and his wife is unhappy about that. 
and uh, he, he was is- also un- undercover as a neo-Nazi for like three years, mm-hmm. which probably yeah. does shit to a person. It probably does. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I had a class at American actually where um, this guy, he wasn't, I, I don't think he was in a neo-Nazi gang, but he like went undercover. Um, it was organized crime and he was just like talking, it was with like the Hells Angels or something. Oh, and he like witnessed like intense stuff and he still had like gang tattoos and everything. I'm surprised Dan has no visible uh neo-nazi tattoos if I, that would be awful to get but um he like the guy who was speaking in my class was sort of saying you know like i had to see all these horrible things like they beat up like a black man just randomly who was doing nothing on the street like just because um you know it's just like beyond awful um so I'm surprised the FBI also does not like offer therapy to people who are coming out of undercover. Maybe they do now. It yeah, seems maybe like they do now. In the eighties, probably not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he was probably just like supposed to be that quintessential American man with just like stuffs down all of his feelings and you know like and, and just has like the quiet masculinity. And you can see that that's what he's what they're going for. And then like the cracks start to happen when he yeah. meets. Uh, uh, yeah. not Nina. Nina. Uh, I was gonna say Nadia. Well, I don't know why Nadia. <laughs> oh. Nina. It's Nina though. Um, yeah. You know, he meets Nina. He kind of falls in lust with her. Um, it's you know the typical like you know like handler, handler, handly uh, you know like yeah. affair that's happening that is pretty tropey and inevitable and kind of like I kind of wish they did something different. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like. Uh, but I do like ne- Nina's character that she's like a double agent now. Mm-hmm. She's like on. Oh my god! She's she, like playing both sides. Well, well, like going back to that, and this is again. But like Sawyer's also seeing Stan, who is so like you know supposed like is presented as kind of the, the emotionless, you know, very measured FBI agent. And, you know, what he does in midway through the season and by killing Vlad, it's so personally motivated. And so, like, you know, his cooler head did not prevail in that situation and sort of just shows that how fallible Stan really is. And then, yeah, I was super excited when Nina actually, like, after she basically realizes that what he had done, she goes into Arcady's office and is like... I'm the mole. Yeah. Like, Actually, I was very excited when she turned on the FBI, which is a really interesting emotion for me because it yeah. it really kind of subverts everything that you expect to feel in this series. Um, yeah, you really wanted to win. Yeah. Than Stan. <laughs> Even though you're essentially rooting for the villains uh, or for the United States uh, enemies. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like in that final episode when they're like in the suburbs try- and Philip is trying to get Elizabeth out because mm-hmm. he realizes she's she's the one falling into the trap and like you have a shootout bet- yeah. you, or you have like a, ch- a chase shootout between uh, the KGB agents and the Americans, uh, the title of the show, <laughs> um, and you're rooting for the KGB agents and you're like, what am I feeling? <laughs> Do I, I need to go like drape myself in an American flag for 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, the Americans is a picture perf- perfect version of... Um storytelling a morally gray storytelling essentially mm-hmm. uh and um i do want to go back to stan for a second and i really sure. like the idea the casting of noah emmerich mm-hmm. uh previously known mostly known for his role in the truman show where he also played a really amiable likable character who ended up having a more duplicitous side and i feel like his casting in the americans almost feels like a bit of stunt casting because it's so perfect for his role in which he plays this sort of two-faced kind of character, uh, although more on the amiable side than anything. But it's it's a really good piece of casting along the lines of Carrie Russell in the show, too. Yeah, and I think Noah Emmerich, I've seen him in other character... As, he's a pretty much a character actor. I've seen him in other movies and TV shows where he just plays, like, a standard American businessman or, like, American family man. Like, he's really good at playing, like, the normal guy, which really helps um, showcase, like his whole identity within the FBI is he's he's a cog in the machine and he's trying to deal with the fact that you know he serves a higher purpose of the in the federal government but he's also trying to handle his own family in which you know his wife's becoming more and more estranged to him and his son he doesn't understand his son at all mm-hmm. he's like are you wearing makeup and he's like yeah i'm not gay i'm just you know going to the rocky horror show and he he, he just looks there he looks stunned and it's such a typical moment that you'd expect from in 1981 like the dad would not know 
at all what, what his son why his son is wearing makeup like that like he'd be totally flustered and he is and it's well it's perfect acting for that time period i think yeah. i think noah emmerich sells the character so well i will say one criticism i have of the series is that noah emmerich um stan is really the only fbi agent that i find truly likable i find a lot of the other fbi agents especially agent gad to be almost cartoonishly flat Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, uh, Do you think it's not on purpose? Do you think it's an accident that they're cartoonishly over the top, like American Gung Ho? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of an accident because it it almost makes it really easy to root against them. But maybe that's not an accident. Maybe it's supposed to be <laughs> indoctrinating us into <laughs> <laughs> sympathizing us, sympathizing with the Russians. Guys, what if? The Americans has actually just been like this deep ploy. And it's like propaganda. Russian interference. <laughs> this <is that> deep <laughs> state Russian ploy to get us to, you know, yeah. hack our own in- internets. So yeah, they're doing a good job. Now we're, yeah, they've, they've, t- they've managed to turn me. So Yeah. As much as I really like the, as I was talking about, the supporting characters being the complex and fleshed out, I do wish the FBI side was a little bit more so. Uh, because mm-hmm. we get so many of it on the Russian side, uh, even with like the double the eight double agents like Nina, and also with supporting characters like Gregory, who I really loved, and I was so Gregory. sad when he died. I was yeah, like, that was really sad. He was just fighting for what he believed in, and yeah. he was just a and, true believer, and just like dropped everything for Elizabeth, partly yeah. out of love. And on a historical, yeah, sorry, sorry. On a historical note, I had I'm not sure if this is 100 percent true, but I had no idea that the KGB and, like, the Russians sort of tried to infiltrate the civil rights movement. I think that is actually true. I'm not and, sure if it know, is, but I do think it's plausible because they're trying yeah, to take... it makes total sense. It makes total sense that they would take minorities and people of color yeah, who are... Group. Malign groups. who are easy who are easy to say, like, hey, the federal government isn't good to you. Why don't you try and do something about it? Yeah, yeah. and it's as almost as this having uh, racism in your country is like a weakness or something. Mm-hmm. Mm. I do like that the Americans really does address the issues of racism and issues of race, which is something you don't often see in a lot of period pieces like this. So that one is... <laughs> Mad Men did not do that at yeah. all. <laughs> Mad Men did not. Uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel didn't really either. No, they didn't really <laughs> talk about that much. That just wasn't in the story. Yeah. But so, that, that's... Another podcast. Yeah. It's really yeah. essential to the Americans, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gregory was, I was pretty bummed out when they killed him. But I guess at least he he went out the way he sort of wanted to, given the circumstances. Yeah. He, like, he kind of, of like chose noble death. Plan, plan B, plan A is California. Plan B is dying as a sacrifice in the, in the yeah. road. And plan C is Moscow. Yeah, like... I don't want to say like he did what he like he wanted to do because obviously his back was definitely against the wall. But he took the lesser to evil. He chose his destiny once it was laid out for him. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, He rolled for initiative and he got like a sixteen. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of like a nat (laughs) twenty. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the best that he could have hoped for, I think. Mm. All right, uh, let's move on from characters then to plot. So we talked a little bit about the plot, where we touched on it a little bit earlier. It's and a how slow burn. It is a slow burn. Yeah. It's quite complex, but it's not completely dependent on the plot, which I like. And there are parts, but it is well plotted. So, for example, the um, the maid that at the beginning of the series of the season when they who they threaten in order to plant the bug in the Secretary of Defense, I want to say. That sounds right. Uh, State. Defense, yeah. Yeah, Secretary of Defense's office. That comes back around, and that is really interesting to me because that means there's a lot of planning going into this, which is something that I think you need in an espionage show. Um, Mm -hmm. So that... Things got to come back. Yeah, things got to come back, and I like that, you know, every... Every movement, everything, action has its consequence. So it's very realistic, but at the same time, it doesn't try to be smarter than it is. Mm Mm-hmm. And I really like that it's not a plot-centric show. It's about the characters. And the plot, it's not secondary, but it's definitely like you're focusing on what the characters are doing while they're pushing forward the plot. Um, It's similar to, I keep comparing the show to Mad Men, which I think is an apt thing because it's a period piece. It's about characters, about these anti-heroes. 
you know, Mad Men wasn't really plot heavy either, and things sort of came back around to the finale, like seeds that were planted in episodes one, two, and three came back in eleven, twelve, and thirteen, and I think the same is same is is for this show too, where you know they go on missions almost every episode. There's a new mark, there's a new person to seduce or torture, or sometimes both, and then they end up. You know, it's for for the it's for. I mean, if, if you know anything about American history in 1981, Reagan was about to announce the Star Wars program, which is the missile, uh, the satellite missile, anti-missile defense uh, that was going to like dest- destroy satellites from space using lasers. And so and that's what they're trying to get information out of. And, you know, they never reference the actual word Star Wars, because I think that's something Reagan announced in his State of the Union in 82 or something. Um and so there's all this, you know, talk about advanced technology that's years beyond our comprehension. That's going to like, you know, change the game of the Cold War. And you know, his missile defense program, I don't think ever became true. Um, but you know, that yeah, idea, I, think, I think it was a ploy. You know, yeah, it was history something... expert here, but oh. I think it was a ploy to kind of get the Russians to then outspend them. So, oh, like, of it was a bluff. Um, my yeah. dad, who I talked about earlier on the show he was in the navy for 26 years he was specifically on submarines and he was t- i inter- i actually interviewed him for an essay i did in high school about how about the cold war and he said that the our like the main goal of america was to outspend the russians mm-hmm. to basically it's- like to spend more money on ships and missiles and everything and we were you know far out spending them in every sense because you know, we're America, we're... We have you know, just more money. We just have more money, and we have the technology, we have the capability, um, and, you know, like, things like the Hunt for Red October kind of happened, and all that kind of stuff, with, like, they did have some advanced technology, but for the most part, like, we were outspending them all the time. That's what really killed the, the Cold War, was the fact that we we just won that, the bidding war for, for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, I think our percentage that we spent on military and things like that was, yeah, never got to what they were saying. Yeah, like, it was a true arms race. It was a space race. Like, the whole thing was just a ploy. And so, the fact that the Russians, like, Philip and Elizabeth are ultimately, you know, trying to find information about stuff that won't come to pass is very fascinating from a Mm-hmm. from the present tense mm-hmm. yeah i want to yeah i want to kind of pose a question off of that i was sort of thinking um and you know i love how historical the show is um you know there's certainly a lot of things that they're gonna get into um it's a while from now but i'm kind of interested to see if, how they deal with chernobyl um mm. i don't know when that's gonna happen but that was such a big dent in the cold war as well that i feel like kind of doesn't get looked at as much as like you know Iran Contra or things like that, um, or the Berlin Wall for that matter. But um, mm-hmm. what I was kind of what I was like kind of wondering what they were going to do, um, and I was kind of because is it sort of make the plotting inherently um, like let like do you, like you kind of get inherently less invested in the plot if um, since we kind of know the ultimate ending from a historical point of view? Does that sort of make it less compelling um and i was kind of even thinking it would have been cool a possibly cool route for them to take to do almost like alternate history like when they have the big historical episode of reagan getting shot what if reagan had not survived what would the world have looked like and what would um how would the russians have reacted to that um well, I, I think that this show kind of goes around it by not focusing too much on those big yeah. plots. It focuses yeah, on smaller, really much. suspenseful yeah. missions or really suspenseful situations that mm-hmm. Philip and Elizabeth find themselves in. Like in the final episode, like that was one of the most suspenseful, great sequences I've seen on oh, The Americans yeah. so far. And it has nothing to do with like a larger scheme, like, mm-hmm. you know, that whole thing with the uh, schematics with the uh, defense specialist yeah ends up being almost like a red herring and it's the part with the car and the stakeout where elizabeth is picking up the tapes that ends up being the true center centerpiece of this um action sequence and that is where i think think the americans uh really excels and where it finds strength yeah i think that's the big strength of the show is how kind of personally focused the plots can get even though it's you know being played against like an extremely huge you know two superpowers world stage kind of situation but then like how like minute it can get and how you know you see so many so like the how like 
such big decisions get motivated by seemingly kind of small personal decisions. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's great because the premise inherently has drama in it. There's no way to uh, to approach this story without like just having drama. There are they going to be found out? Are they not going to be found out? Will they get their kids to school? Will their kids find them find out? Etc. Yeah. Etc. So it's it's really fascinating how they kind of keep the ball rolling and never it never really gets tired, I guess, in a sense, because, like, it could easily uh, wear on the fact, like, oh, you know, they almost got found out this time around. But there's always yeah. a new uh, way of depicting it or a new twist that's thrown in uh, that really moves the story forward. And I, that's what I like about the Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do, too. That's, so, that's why I really like it. The uh, themes? The themes. You want to move on to themes? Yeah. Well, I feel like we touched on a lot of themes, actually. We've, we've, we, I think yeah. we've touched on a lot. I just, I, I just like the idea. I just like the whole subversion of the, of the, of the familiar tropes and characterizations we're used to spy shows and we're used to family drama shows. Um, we've talked about how, like, the masculine, feminine roles in the family unit are reversed, and, um, and how like they got teenagers right, and the whole idea of like. America versus Russia in the Cold War is mm-hmm. like the it's not only is it a Cold War but it's also a, it's like a um a culture war um in terms of like who's going to win is it going to be the capitalist pigs or is it going to be the commie hippies like comrades the comrades like what's the deal here so i really love it and i can't wait for season two well, next month you've already seen it willoughby but uh we're I, excited i've seen it but <laughs> I forgot. Willoughby can things. be excited too. We can <laughs> all be excited. I am very excited. I did start the season, second season. I'm only in the beginning still, but I like after the season five. I'm like, I don't care. I can't wait. I need to. I need to keep going a little bit. So I couldn't help myself. But uh, I'm very excited to talk about season two next month. Um, I think there's yeah. I'm excited to watch the story kind of yeah obviously expand a bit. I feel like. Um, Based on what I've seen, it's going to kind of go outward a bit, um, which I'm kind of excited to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that fit, wraps up our discussion on The Americans Season 1. Uh, look forward to our discussion on Season 2 in a month. I think that will be March uh, 14th, March, March 13th. Yeah. Yeah, around the same time next yeah, month. Yeah, mid-March. Uh, that will be a little bit before Season 5 of The Americans premiere. So we'll be uh, continuing our uh, journey through The Americans as the fifth and final season of the FX series airs. So uh, do you guys have any final thoughts on The American Season 1? Willby, why don't you go uh, first? Um, Just that, uh, I, like I said, I've watched all, everything up, up till most of Season 5. Um, so I, but it all blended together last year, uh, cause like, you know, memory and whatnot, but I'm really excited to rewatch season two and to, you know, dive deeper into these family relationships and Philip and Elizabeth and their love and their spying and whatnot. All right, Rebecca, do you have any final thoughts on the American season one? Um, not too many, just, you know, it was a really great ride. I'm happy I actually finally sat down to watch it. Um, now I'm going to fail out of school because I'll be watching it a lot, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, what? we're going to make this podcast really big, guys, and then I'll just it'll just be my job, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's going to be great when we get sponsors like Blue Apron or Nature Box, <laughs> if you're out there. <laughs> you would like sponsors. We will oh, I'm gaming for Squarespace, you. dude. Squarespace. A better way to squ- to square. Oh, wait, no, that's Blue Apron. <laughs> that's synergy, dude. That's going to be the inevitable Blue Apron Squarespace partnership that comes oh, around in like 2019 or blue something. Blue Space or Square Apron. Oh my God, I'm. I wish I were kidding. That's probably going to be a thing. But sure. um, <laughs> all right, and right? I'm looking forward. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how the show moves forward. Just because. Not at a cliffhanger, but definitely there are a lot of balls rolling. So I'm I'm excited to see. Oh, one more thing I wanted to say was oh. just how the ending was so great, and that just like you kind of Elizabeth. Obviously, she's under a lot of anesthesia from getting shot and everything, but just how she actually sort of does break somewhat from their mission to tell him to come home is such in Russian is such a nice way to end the series um, or season rather, and um, just. Yeah. 
showing her break protocol like that. I was really into that. I like Russian as a language. I like how it sounds. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it was very smart to end it on an emotional note, which is where the Americans is strongest. So American yeah. season two, we're looking forward to you and we're looking forward to you listening or to you watching with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, follow along. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Oh, wait. Yeah. Hold on. Oh. <laughs> Where can they find us, Willoughby? Um, So we don't have a separate blog yet. We're still on the Millennial Falcon blog, so you can find us there at millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're also on the Millennial Falcon Facebook and the Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Um, And you can subscribe, rate, and review to the Millennial Falcon, in which you'll get the big binge every month um, in your feed. And uh, where can they find you guys on the internet? Yeah, so you can find me at Rebecca Fugger on Twitter. Um, I'm a bad tweeter, but I try sometimes to do tweets on there. And um, you can also find me on my Instagram, too, at Rebecca. That's just Rebecca with an extra E in the beginning. Um, I like Instagram the most. <laughs> and you can find me at htranbui. I tweet every day. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs. Show off. I tweet too much. Um, Guys, you don't need... I'm just trying to be impressive now. Oh, I'm not. I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's a fault. Um, on All my right. part. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.